for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. So many of us, as you've heard in the podcast, got to Syracuse and got to WJPZ wanting to get into sports and maybe cover our favorite team. Today's guest actually did the damn thing, and he's got a tremendous story of how he got there. From the class of 95, Sal Capaccio, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, John. I really appreciate you, and it's always fun to talk to uh, fellow Z89ers for sure. Absolutely. It's what we have in common. I, I, as I mentioned to you in text, I'm a Patriots fan, but we don't need to go there because I know you are. You are the authority on the Buffalo Bills, and we will get to all of that in due time. But tell me first how you got to Syracuse and found the radio station. Ever since I was a little kid, I mean, at first I wanted to be, you know, center fielder for the Yankees or wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, right? And then I realized that wasn't going to work out. But, um, you know, someone, I remember my brother telling me when I was really little, you know, this is another person he knew. He wants to go into sports broadcasting. I'm like, wait a minute, you can actually do that? Like, you can go to yeah. college for that? I didn't know that. I was a kid. So I, I started thinking about that really at a pretty young age. And, you know, when I got into high school, it was kind of geared towards that. And then I realized Syracuse and the program they had and all the people that went to Syracuse and, you know, wanted to do that. So, um, you know, it was always the goal. Ultimately, it worked out. I was able to not only go to Syracuse, but then, you know, discover all these great ways and avenues to be able to talk. And that was the thing for me, you know, I've always been, John, involved in everything. Like I've always been a, the Energizer Bunny, right? Since I was a little kid, I'm, yeah. I'm a drummer. I've always been in jazz band. I was the lead in the play. I was Conrad Birdie in high school and Bye Bye Birdie, right? I remember things like that. I always, I played three sports and I just say that like I've always been active. I've always been involved. So The minute I got to campus, the minute that I saw what was available, I'm like, oh, radio station, TV station. Like, these are things that I said, I got to be a part of. Yeah. I want to do that. And, you know, when I heard about WJPZ, when I saw Z89, and I don't even know it, I don't know if it's the same format now, but, you know, top 40 format at the time and music I was listening to. Thank you. It just really spoke to me. I'm like, oh, this is super cool. And they're like, yeah, we do sports too. Oh, okay. Well, maybe (laughs) I could be a DJ and do sports and actually wound up doing it all. Host of the morning show a little bit. That was really cool. So that was the biggest reason. And then they had Sports Line 89 was the talk show. Mm-hmm. My thing I wanted to do in sports was be a talk show host. Yep. And there was literally a guy in Buffalo who's legendary. People still know his name. He's in his 90s now, still living. His name is Art Wander. His nickname was the Tiny Tot of the Kilowatt <laughs> and um, Artie Baby Boo Boo. And I would call his show. So, John, I'm in high school. And I'm like in 10th grade, I'm listening to talk radio calling shows, right? This is me. Oh, yeah. I would put the cassette tape inside and hit play and record. I'd record myself when I got in there to do an air check and to see how I sounded. Oh, my God. People would call and they'd have these nicknames. And you'd have like Mr. T, Ace, the Polish Prince. And I went to Cleveland Hill High School. Still very dear to my heart, the Cleveland mm-hmm. Hill Golden Eagles, by the way. Got the mascot you're holding up right now. Got it. I was the Golden Eagle. That was my nickname on the air. I'm like in 10th grade and I would call. That's great. And one day I said, hey, Art, can I talk to you something after the show? He says, yeah. This is before cell phones and all that. I call up. He answers right away for the show. Golden Eagle, what's up? And I said, hey, man, I want to do what you do for a living. I listen to your show every day. I'd really like to go to Syracuse. Would you write me a letter recommendation to Syracuse University? Wow. And not that he made or break it, but it was just one of those examples of people helping you out to try and get to where you want to go. Right. And how cool that was to do that. Yeah. And little things like that, you know, and I knew what I wanted to do for a long time. And, you know, they got on campus and, and found out about Z89. And it was pretty cool to to get involved there and, and to be a part of that scene right away. So you're doing music and morning show, but sports is really your passion. That was really where you spent most of your time. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, Sportsline 89. It was like my thing. I got to host the show. And I did. I remember hosting Sportsline 89. We had a bunch of hosts. We'd rotate through on Sunday nights and and do that show. And, you know, my first year I got on campus. I'm living in Brewster Hall and yeah. I had season tickets for the Bills. I come from Buffalo and it was the year right after the Bills had gone to their first Super Bowl and lost against the Giants out of the four. Mm-hmm. And I'm on this floor with all these Giants fans and people from New York, right? And they're giving me crap every day. But I would literally take a Greyhound bus home in October for the home game weekends to see the Bills play. Oh, wow. And I just happened to be sitting near, met this guy a fan who lived in Syracuse and he would drive me back after the game to drop me off at Brewster Hall. Wow. And that was like how I spent my freshman year on the weekends. A lot of time. That's how crazy I was about the bills too. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I'm always like, oh, I'd love to be in Buffalo and working on the air, being a part of these games. And I'm listening to Van Miller and John Murphy. I'm like, oh, how cool would it be to be a part of that? And I mean, John, think about it. Now, I work with John Murphy every weekend and he's the play-by-play guy and I'm the sideline reporter. And this is my life now, what I do, right? And, right. you know, I just think it's a true testament of, a, you know, if you you stick to it, you work hard, you, you have a dream, a passion, a goal that you can achieve those things. So you were class in 95, correct? Yes. Your class was one of the greatest classes in the history of WJPZ in terms of active alumni that I've met going back every year, in terms of people who've done just incredible things in the business, whether it's music, whether it's sports, whether it's news, whether it's anything. Who are some of the names that you remember of people you worked with at the radio station? Well, of course, um, Mike Murphy. He was awesome to have. I've got my text open right now. He says when he connected with you that you had some great Zubaz pants. And that this is a direct quote. He had to deal with incompetent me as his sports director when he was assistant sports director. I was. I was. Yes, I did. I should say. But no, he was not incompetent. He was great. I loved that. The actual first sports director I worked with got the job at a young age was Ryan Raffensperger. Yep. And you remember Ryan, right? And uh, Ryan's still doing great things. He's at uh, Mount uh, St. Mary's maybe or somewhere. He's he's helping out. Like he's a part of a, a college. He's a part of that scene. Um, one of the uh, smaller college basketball programs I know he helps out with. Mm-hmm. Raff was actually like the youngest sports director they had had. He named like his sophomore year. He uh, becomes the sports director, right? But I remember, and I don't know if these people were in my class, but I remember Dion Summers being a DJ, right? Dion was the best. Yeah. He was the best, right? And you know, people like that, guys that aren't in the business anymore, Billy Abelson, he was a big part of, he's a big Jets fan. I'm on the Jets sidelines. Billy's, hey, hey, so I'm looking up at the Bills sideline. <laughs> I guess that's met, met life. I mean, I'm on the Bills sideline and Billy's up there with his son or daughter and they're, he's waving to me. I go over, I talk to him. And then his, and I, I don't remember if it's his son or daughter. I apologize. I think it's his daughter. Winds up going to Buff State here in Buffalo, actually. Oh my God. Uh, a few years later, right? So he reached out and said that. That was really cool to me or the University of Buffalo either way, but you know, Buffalo connection. So that was cool. I've met so many people and I remember hooking up with Murph as well, you know, years later. And we had some wings here in Buffalo as well. Of course. Uh, So guys like that, you know, I'll tell you, I remember doing a radio show with Ryan Burr Mm -hmm. and Ryan now is on the golf channel and he covers the PGA. And it reminds me, I need to reach out to him because the PGA Championship is here next week in Rochester at Oak Hill. And I'm going and I get a credential. Nice. And I'll be covering that. So now, see, this little thing reminded me, I got to get in touch with Ryan Burr. But he was a guy that I remember doing a, a show with. There were a lot of people who, who didn't want to do this, right? Didn't want to be in front of the camera. And they did sales. I, I think I would tell you, though, John, I learned so much. It's, what do they say about WJPZ? It's like the greatest classroom ever world's greatest media classroom which is my next question which is some lessons you learned there the biggest lesson i think i learned is that it takes so many people in so many ways to be a part of this to do this right mm-hmm. and i'm not just talking about on-air talent and producers i'm talking about people who you know directors you know, program directors sports directors but the sales department is so big right yeah. they're, they're the people that drive the money and there's no show there's no station if these people aren't doing it and my first job out of Syracuse was at a very small station down in Florida. And I remember they said to me, well, you got to do some sales here. If you come here. And I'm like, okay. So my last summer at Syracuse, before I moved, I said, I want to learn about the sales side of things. I got with some people, maybe Jen Nietzsche was there. I can't really remember. There were some people there who were, you know, into the sales department and they kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. And I'm like, okay, not my thing. Ditto. I can help finish the deal. I hate doing it. I hate walking in, trying to do sales. I have so much respect for the people who do that, even here now in my life at WGR and Odyssey, like the people who do sales, just so much respect for what they do because I can't do it. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I can talk to people. I just, I, I, I don't want to get you to buy anything from me. And I, I, I build relationships with clients. I endorse a lot of products on of the course. Air, right? It's yeah. one of the things I do. And I build those relationships, but I'm not the guy to walk in and say, hey, do you want to go sponsor a show? Right? Exactly, it's just, yeah. It's just, it's not that thing. So, but that's what I learned. I, I learned about how all those relationships have to intertwine with each other to make it work and to help each other out. And, you know, I've been a sports guy my whole life. I've played sports. I was a very high level football and baseball player in high school here in Buffalo. And I played a little club baseball at Syracuse, things like that. I coached high school football in Florida for 10 years when I left the business. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I just believe in the teamwork part of things all the time. Yeah. And I've worked in this business, as I'm sure you have, with people who aren't very good teammates. They're just not. Names are popping into my head as you say that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. And that makes it really difficult on everybody involved. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to now 
work with such a great team at WGR. I've been in, now this is my 11th year there, <laughs> 12th year. And, you know, since coming back to Buffalo and, you know, I'm so happy and thankful to be a part of it, but it, it hasn't always been so smooth with not having those people. And I think that's what I learned at WJPZ is, you know, be a good teammate, help out. We're all here for the same reason. That's to help each other and to help this thing grow and to help be successful together. So you alluded to your time in Florida. I am fascinated by your story as I've only recently learned it. Take me through after graduation and you go down to Florida and then how you end up back in Buffalo. So I was first hired at a little station, a radio station in Florida on the Southwest coast, a little below Sarasota in a small sleepy town called Englewood. Okay. It's situated, if people want to know, between Venice and Port Charlotte. It's a very older town. Let's just say that. Understood. They say retired people move to Florida. They say retired people's parents move to this town, Englewood. That's how old it is. <laughs> so this is not Del Boca Vista. This is even older. <laughs> That's exactly right. The way that I got the job was one of my best friends in high school, his cousin was actually running this small radio station for his girlfriend's dad. The girlfriend's dad owned it. Okay. It's an independent radio station. He said to me, he goes, hey, you know, we want to come down and work. We'll put you on air. You got to do some sales, whatever. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like none of my friends are getting jobs out of college. Right. Like it's an on-air opportunity. Why would I? And it's Florida, right? I mean, why would I do that? You Buffalo and Syracuse, the suns probably sounded tremendous to you at that point. Yes, yes. So I, I moved down to Florida. I think it was October 9th, 1995. I think that's the day I moved down there, if I remember correctly. Um, it was right in the middle of football season, basically. And they're like, hey, come down here and we're going to put you on the air to talk about sports, but you got to do sales and things like that. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And that's when I said, okay, this, this is tough doing the sales and going to these mom and pop stores and saying, hey, do you want to advertise on this Saturday show called The Swap Shop where people are calling in because they have garage sale items to sell, oh, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing these things. And we were news talk sports at the time. And I went down there and started working for this person. It was Matt. And Matt was great. And he was, like I said, my best friend's cousin. And him and his uh, him and his girlfriend worked there. The dad of her owned the station. And we were mostly syndicated, but we had a morning show. And I was a part yeah. of that a little bit. That we They gave me my little afternoon show. I was doing that. Just kind of wet the appetite a little bit, keep me going because I had to do the sales thing. But the other thing we did, which is really cool, was we literally carried play-by-play of Little League Baseball. Oh, wow. And I'm telling you, that sold like hotcakes. Every mom and dad and grandma and grandpa wanted to buy time on the Little League games for their business. Because everybody's listening to their kids. Yes. And And they want to support their kids. So I did play-by-play of Little League Baseball. And it was actually my first real foray into calling play-by-play. Okay. And that was a really cool part of the job. But, you know, I think when you get in anything in life, but I think especially in this business, you think when you get on the air, when you get out of college, you're going to be on ESPN like that, right? Like, yeah. it's, bam, it's going to happen. You have all these goals and it's not how it works, right? <laughs> you got to work and do a lot of other things first. And I was living in this town. I was single. It was an older town. I was trying to pass the time. At the same time, I wasn't really moving up necessarily, right? And mm-hmm. you kind of butt your head, you get a little frustrated. And in the meantime, I was actually a bartender at night at a sports bar owned by a couple of former New York Port Authority police. It was cool. Oh, we wow. had a really good time. And you know, learning and meeting people. Sports are my thing. And I'd always been interested in coaching as well. And they said to me, Hey, you know, if you want to help out, we have a, a little league team we sponsor. If you want to coach the little league team. So I'm like, yeah, sure. So I started, I was in my twenties. I started coaching and I loved it. We had a good time. I had these mom and dads. And at the same time, like, Oh, you know what? Football is my thing too. So I started coaching pop Warner football and I'm in my twenties. Okay. I'm coaching pop Warner football. I have no kids, but I'm coaching. And the high school coach came to me from the local high school and said, look, you do a great job with these kids. I hear a lot of great things about the way you coach, the way you handle these kids, and you're in it for the right reasons. You don't have a kid. Would you like to join our high school staff? Oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, that sounds really good. I think I'd like to coach high school football. So I worked it out where I could do it around the time on radio, and I went to coach high school football, and I loved it. And what happens is down in Florida, you have spring football like you do in college. Mm -hmm. So they play like a whole month of May, they have spring football practice. Well, John, after one spring, I'm like, I think maybe, maybe this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Maybe I don't want to wow. be in radio anymore. Okay. I really like it. But you know, to do that the rest of my life, I probably have to be a teacher. So I decided right then and there to get certified to be a teacher and to leave radio and coach and teach for the rest of my life. Wow. I went to the principal. He said, yep, we could hire you. We love having you on campus. You're a coach. You coach here. I went to the University of South Florida. I got certified to teach. And that's where I met my wife of today, of 20 years. She was in two of my classes. She was getting her master's degree at USF in mental health counseling and rehabilitation. And I got certified. I became a social studies teacher. 
I taught kids with uh, learning disabilities. Wow. I taught everything from ninth grade intro to social to 12th grade American government and economics. I taught 11th grade American history, 10th grade world history. It was awesome. I loved it. I coached football. I was coaching baseball for a while. Then I became the head girls track and field coach for six years. We won four district championships. I would recruit the living heck out of all the other girls teams and have the volleyball players and the basketball players. And we did great. I sent girls off to college. I was having a great time. It was amazing. I loved my life coaching. I love 10 years. I was coaching high school football in Florida. You get some talent, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I coached against a lot of guys who are playing in the NFL now. Coached a lot of kids who went on to play division one football. It was awesome. And I learned more about football than I ever thought I would in my life coaching down there. I'd imagine so. But John, there was always something missing, right? And that was talking on the radio. Yeah. It's a drug. Right. You'll do it. You'll love it. And not only talking on the radio, but talking in Buffalo on the radio. Like, ah, this is what I want to do. I want to be a Buffalo. I want to be talking. Like, what's going on here? And I'd be listening online. That was when that started. And, you know, come on, I could do this job. And what happened was we were really good for a while in football. And then we started to dip. It's high school football. That's what happens. And yeah. we weren't that good. It was getting more to be a chore. It was a grind. And we had a guy who was on the staff who I'll just say it this way, probably shouldn't have been coaching high school kids. Understood. Okay. The way that he talked around them, the way he acted around them. And it really made my life, I didn't like my life every day going to be around that. You mean he was just too hard on them? Is that inappropriate? Under Okay. Got it. More inappropriate than anything else. Got it. Here I am trying to be this adult and mentor and role model. And this guy is over here. And the kids think that's the coolest thing because they're kids. They're high school kids. Oh yeah. Right. They think, oh, that's the cool guy. This guy, Sal. Why do I want to be around him? He just wants to tell me about how to be a man. I don't want that. I want to be how to, how to have fun and yeah. talk the way I want to talk, if that makes sense, right? It does, yep. You know, as the year went on, I decided I just I just can't do this anymore. I need to step away. I think I want to go back into media. And at the same time, it was a long story. I think it's worth it, though. Absolutely. At the same time, 2007, WGR had got rid of a host, a nighttime host. This is the news talk station in Buffalo that you're at now. Sports only, sports sport, radio. Oh, sport, okay. And I said, okay, well, this is my chance. This is my dream job, WGR. I applied and the program director at the time, Andy Roth said, you probably have no shot for this job. He told me that. He said, you're not even working the business now, but if you have anything, you can send it to me. And I haven't been doing anything, but what I did was, this is when podcasting first started, John. Yeah, you were an OG in podcasting, right? That's right. This was There was a little thing called mysportsradio.com. Okay. And they did all these little teams. It's like, it's like Locked On Network now, right? Which is partly run by another one of our alumni, Carl Weinstein. Exactly, right? So this guy, Sam Kooten was his name. He was out in California. He's running this little network. And I'm like, yeah, I could talk about the bills. And I started podcasting and it was brand new. And I'm telling you, I got a setup like I have now, like this little thing. And I'm doing like a little video here and there before that ever came in. This is way back when. And people online were making fun of me. Who's this guy in his basement? Ha ha. This is before when people made fun of bloggers and casters and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is, an, this is a means to an end for me, hopefully. Yeah. And I'm getting my reps. So I send this stuff off to Andy Roth and he's like, probably a no shot for the job. Tries out a few people, doesn't like him. Says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try out. Says, you gotta drive to Tampa an hour and a half. You go to this radio station. I did a show in Buffalo, Halloween night of 07. And it was like the first time I ever actually hosted a show in Buffalo, but I was not in Buffalo. I was doing it remotely from Tampa at a radio station that was enclosed with no windows. And I'm talking with the producer over Instant Messenger on AOL. And I get off and he's like, you were amazing. I loved your energy. You were fantastic. Want to do it again. I remember doing it again the next week. It was election night because I remember saying, hey, it's election night. Get out there and vote. Yeah. All right. Maybe it was 08 then either way. But anyway, the point is really liked me. Didn't hire me because they went with somebody else who happened to be the sports director of Buffalo, the CBS affiliate, has the TV cachet, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I wrote a letter to Andy Roth. And I would tell you, when I found out I didn't get the job, I cried like a little baby. I was in my 30s. I'm like, oh, I, my God. I got you. Yeah. Wrote a letter to Andy Roth and said, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to live out my dream, but you made a mistake and you should have hired me. Wow. That's a chutzpah. And he called me and said, listen, if you ever want to move to Buffalo to start over in radio, you could do it, but you're going to make minimum wage part time. Yeah. Like, okay. A couple of years go by. I always thought about that. I was doing the coaching thing. And then I decided to step away from coaching. And I said to my wife, you know, I mean, I always have this dream to go back. And at the same time, it just so happened, we got married in 03. So we've been married for about eight years. And she was actually in transition from one job to another. And my wife looks at me. My wife is from Germany. Okay. Okay. And she says, you know, we had gone out to Buffalo a couple of times. And one thing we did was we came up to Buffalo once. She ran the Buffalo Half Marathon. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is a fabulous city. I could live here by running the marathon. No kidding. And she said, you know what? If you ever want to do it, 
now's the time. I don't want to wait though, because I'm going to get another job here and we haven't had a family yet. If you want to have kids, she said, we either stay here and have kids or we move and have kids. Like I'm not having kids and moving. Yeah. I called Andy Roth. I said, you told me you'd hire me. I'm coming to Buffalo. Quit my job as a uh, teacher. He said, Sal, you're going to make crap money for crap hours. I said, I don't care. I'm going to start over. 37 years old. My God. Between my wife and I, we were making a good living. I had my summers off. I was playing golf twice a week, teaching and coaching. I dropped everything to come back to Buffalo, New York at the age of 37 to work and start part-time in radio for minimum wage. Wow. This is an incredible story, and I'm so glad you're sharing it today. This is amazing. So you quit the full-time job, the nice life, like you said. You end up in Buffalo. Talk to me about how you climbed the totem pole there over the last decade and a half. So I come up in 2011. Craziest story is after I committed to this and did it, my wife moves up to live with friends while I'm getting everything situated in, down in Florida. While that's happening, my friend calls me. I'm literally, I'm literally at CarMax selling my cars. I had a convertible. I couldn't bring it to Buffalo. Sure. He calls me and he says, who's the guy that hired you in Buffalo? I said, Andy Roth. He goes, you might want to hear this. He's leaving to go to Cleveland to start the fan in Cleveland. Oh no. I'm like, what? I call him in a panic and he goes, yep, I will not be here when you get here. Oh. He says, but don't worry. This person knows you're coming. This person, I'm coming up cold, John. I know nobody. Because you always want to have that person championing you. Correct. And your champion was out the door. So at least, he, at least he put a word in for you, I guess. He did. And it worked out. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I came up and with Andy here, he was going to put me on producing and you know starting off in the bottom or whatever, which I still had to do. But all the people here were like, yeah, Andy loves this guy. He hired him, put him on the air. And like they started giving me these jobs on the air and they just trusted me. Like, hey, Andy likes you and you're here and let's go. So we did that. The new program director comes in, my Alan Davis, who's still there with me now. And he like really likes me. He sees I'm a go-getter, starts putting me all these shifts. And as luck would have it, six months later, we get the rights to the bills. Wow. And- I'm there. I'm in the building. I had struck a relationship with John Murphy. Murph's like, put Sal in stats. In the meantime, I'm working part-time as a fill-in host. I'm substitute teaching in the city of Buffalo to make money during the day. That's how I was making money. Okay. My wife's got a job. She's starting over again pretty much, but we're starting to work our way up. Well, we get the rights to the bills. That happens. Two years later, I become the Bills' sideline reporter. Then I become the Bills' beat reporter. Then I become the host. And this is literally how everything rose up to where it is now. It really is a fantastic story of, yes, being in the right place at the right time on one hand, but more so putting in the time and the effort and the work and the networking. And it probably always goes back to things you learned at Z89. 100%. The relationships, the networking, understanding those roles. And even I'll tell you the sales part of it. Like I said, I think I have like maybe 10 endorsements overall right now with like businesses yeah. and products. and But those relationships, that's part of the reason I was climbing because- the sales team would sell me, right? They don't sell products. Hey, we're selling Sal Capaccio. You want to be a, a part of him talking about you on the radio or something like that on the sidelines or on a show. Yeah. And that helped elevate my profile and people want to be attached to me, which obviously then the company's like, well, hey, you know, this guy's got this profile. People were selling him and that starts to raise it up. But also just the overall interaction of making a connection to what happened was a few years before I came up, I literally came up one time. I was in Florida. I came up for a Bills training camp just to watch. I wanted to go to St. John Fisher in Rochester, watch the Bills training camp. And while I was there, I was still living in Florida. I said to myself, hey, you know what? I want to meet John Murphy. John Murphy was working, the Bills play-by-play -play guy. He was working at CBS in Buffalo. I called. He had no idea who I was. Literally called, got through to him and said, my name's Sal Capaccio. I went to Syracuse like you did. Murph's a Syracuse guy. I said, I just want to come in and pick your brain about the business. He's like, come on in. Went in. We sat for an hour. We talked. We stayed in contact. When we get the Bills rights, He's the play-by-play -play guy. He's the one that says, hey, this Sal Capaccio guy, I got to know. I trust him. I want to put him on the broadcast. Because of that networking, because of me reaching out to him, that's how that happens. Wow. So you are doing the dream gig. You are doing sideline for the Bills, the team you grew up rooting for. You've made some sacrifices then that have paid off dividends for you now. What would you tell anybody who's at the station now who wants to pursue a dream like this that you haven't already mentioned? I do a lot of talks with kids, high school juniors, seniors who want to go into this or somebody who are, is in the business. And I would tell them the same thing I would tell all of them, whether they're there already or they're not. Do as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Do as much as you can. As you know, John, when you go to a place like Syracuse, there are a lot of people who think you're going to get a piece of paper and that's going to get you a job. That's not how it works <laughs> in our business. Right. Okay? Our resume is not on paper. It's not on this. This is not our resume. Our resume is this. Yeah. Our resume is the microphone. It's the it's the camera. It's the writing. 
that's what you have to show. You have to show your personality. You have to show who you are. You have to make those contacts. I always say it this way. You don't have to be great at everything, but you got to know how to do everything. I like that. Right? Like gone are the days when, when I got in the business, when you got in the business, you were either a broadcaster or a writer or a producer or like you had a role. Everybody does everything now. I remember being down at the Bills facility one day when I first moved up, maybe a couple years later. I see fellow Syracuse guy, Adam Benini goes to Syracuse. Adam Benini's now working in Buffalo. My college roommate, John Willie, was Adam Benini's intern at W whatever in Syracuse on TV. And now Adam's the NBC sports director here in Buffalo. I see Adam carrying a camera. He's talent, right? He's the, he's the anchor. I'm like, dude, what do you got a camera for? He goes, oh, that's the way we do things now. Like they're not hiring three people to do one job. Right. Like I got to set this camera up. I got to film it. I got to edit it. I got to have it ready to roll for the six o'clock news. I'm like, oh my God, that's wild. But that's the way it is now, John. Like when I got in this business, I never imagined I'd have to write for a website every day. Mm-hmm. I got to write for a website every day. I got to have stories up. I don't love it, but it's part of my job, right? It's just part of what I have to do every day because that's what the company wants. That's what people read. They look, they want the clicks, they want the sales, they want all of that. Also, if you do say, I'm a broadcaster, guess what? Studio work, hosting, pregame, postgame, play-by-play, all of those things matter. Again, do as much as you can. Figure it out later. You might actually not know that you love a certain part of the job that you wind up understanding you love. I didn't actually want to be a play-by-play guy when I was younger. I love it now. I do play-by-play for ESPN+. Plus. I've done college basketball, and I do high school football every Friday night for here at uh, local Spectrum News. College hockey I've done, things like that. You never know when something like that's going to happen, but you got to be ready. You got to be prepared for it because that could take you another way where you say, okay, because if you only do and you only focus on one thing or one way, you're going to be eaten up in this business pretty quickly and it's going to frustrate you and you're going to say, I- I'm out. Yeah. There are a number of people listening to this podcast who want to do what you are doing for a living. If you'd be so kind, take me through an average Sunday home game day in your life. Love it. Okay. Sunday home game. So I leave my house. I get up and get ready. First of all, I have to know the weather. Oh, so how am I dressing? Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I have to know the weather. So a Sunday in the in September is way different than a Sunday in December, by the way, right. uh, because I might have to get up earlier to get all of those clothes ready. But I get ready here in the morning. I usually leave here about 7.30 in the morning. For a one o'clock kick. Yeah. It's a 20-minute drive to the stadium from my house, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So I'll usually get to the stadium by 8 o'clock. When I get there, I immediately go to the radio booth. I check in with the uh, engineers. Everything's going good. You know, I'm listening to the radio station. At nine o'clock is my first hit. I go live on our pregame show. We're the flagship station. We have the pregame show. I go live on our pregame show from nine to 9.30. After that, at some point, I'm probably doing a hit with the opposing team's radio. Sure. They usually contact me and say, can we get you on? We just figure out a time. It's sometime probably around 9.30 to 10 o'clock, somewhere in there, maybe around 10 o'clock. Also, at some point during that next hour or so, I have to do a Facebook live for our station Mm -hmm. to actually go on Facebook, go live video. Hey, I'm here. It's sponsored. This is what's happening today. Do a preview for it. Something like that. Right. Then I kind of get a chance to settle down, do my notes. I usually have a lot of them prepared already, but there's always things that pop up on a Sunday. You're learning about Adam Schefter's tweet about injuries that who's going to be available. (laughs) Who's not right. Right. So I'm doing my notes. I'm getting all that. Murph actually likes for me to give him a bullet point about 10 notes that he can turn to to throw it down to me on the sidelines at some point in the game. Okay. So that's one of the things I make sure I give Murph, you know, a list of something, just things that I want to talk about that I think are important during the game. He trusts me to do that. So I give him that. Then at 11 o'clock, it really ramps up. 11 o'clock is our network pregame and what's called the round table. Mm-hmm. And I am the host of the round table. It's me. It's Eric Wood, our color guy and who played center for the bills. And it's Chris Brown from buffalobills.com. And for an hour, I host the round table and it's just basically us talking about the game. I'm the one that sets up kind of what we're going to talk about that day. It's generally something about the offense, the defense, special teams, all that, but there's always stuff going on. Yeah. There's different storylines every game. We're going for a good hour. This year it changed because that was an hour. In other years, it was only 35 minutes, but at some point on Sunday, a lot of times, I'm also doing a TV hit for CBS in Buffalo. <laughs> it used to be live at 1135. I would go on the show. It's called Buffalo Kickoff Live. And I would literally throw off my headphones, run down to the field and get on the television, and go live with CBS. I am a still a part of that show. It's just the difference of because the roundtable cuts in if I'm doing something recorded, if I'm live earlier for a hit, what I'm doing. But I'm doing at some point, I'm doing CBS live television in Buffalo or recorded television in Buffalo. Once I'm done, I go down to the field. 
I'm down on the field. Now, sometimes I do the round table from down on the field. It always depends on weather. It depends on the connection we're getting at that time of day. Yeah. If they want me in the booth, the engineers basically say, go down, stay up, whatever. But a lot of times I'm on the field during pregame warmups, doing the round table, asking Chris and um, Eric questions. 12 o'clock rolls around. Now I can kind of settle down, watch warmups. I'm watching warmups. Is there a guy injured? How's he running? Right. How's Josh looking with the elbow? Is he throwing the ball? Okay. Right. Right. Do I see anybody that, um, boy, they were questionable to play. They look like they're out here. Okay. Well, we got the um, inactive list. So kind of talk about that. I'm going through my kind of pregame mental checklist, if you will, down there, walking around, saying hi to people, just getting the kind of the day set up. Then the the game kicks off. I go back on the air with John uh, Murphy at uh, 1240. Mm -hmm. Usually he'll throw, put me out 1240, kick off at one o'clock. That's just my pregame hit from the sidelines, kick off at one o'clock. During the game, my role, I have to read once a quarter. I have to read a scoreboard report from around the league that's sponsored. I have to do a sideline report every quarter that's sponsored. And I have to keep you aware of any injuries that are going on. On top of just regular things I want to chime in on, that's my role. I'm watching for injuries. If I see Micah Hyde coming off the field and he's limping, I'll say to our producer, I'll actually go into the mic and say, hey, I got my mic right here. We're on video. I'll show you. But I'll go on my mic and I'll go, hey, Micah Hyde's limping off the field. I'm watching him. And the producer, Greg Harvey, hears me, but it doesn't go over the air. Right. He says, okay. He says, we'll throw it down to you in a second. He tells Murph. Murph goes, let's go down to the field with Sal. I go, hey, guys, I'm keeping an eye on Micah Hyde. He's been limping around down here. He's at the trainer's table right now. We'll keep you updated as things go on. That's pretty much how it goes. And then I read a sponsor. It's usually some injury attorney or something that's a sponsor of the injury. <laughs> Brilliant. Report, Love right? it. Yes. Right. Of course. Um, so I do that. And that happens throughout the game. And I'm chiming in. As soon as the game is over, if the Bills win... I run on the field and get a player interview. Mm -hmm. And generally what happens, it's a kind of a cool part of the job. It's really funny is, so CBS, Fox, ESPN, whatever, they pay billions of dollars for the game. Right. I would love to interview Josh Allen after the game. That's not happening because they're getting him. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So let's say Tracy Wolfson is there or Evan Washburn, somebody from CBS. I go up to them with a few minutes left and go, hey, who are you guys getting today? And Tracy's like, uh, we're getting Josh and Gabe Davis. I'm like, okay, who do I get then? Because now I got to think I can't get either of them. I'll go to Bill's PR. Hey, this is who I'm thinking. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Or who are you thinking? Who had a good game today? So we're like kind of working through this. You remember the 13 seconds game the Bills lost in Kansas City? Of course you do, right? I wasn't going to go there for one, but yeah. So this happens. I go to Tracy. So who are you getting? Who are you getting? We're talking about it. After they score a touchdown, we are setting up our post-game interviews. For the Bills win. Yeah, because we think the Bills are going to win. And I am all set. I don't even remember who I was going to get. And then everything went the way it did. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're in that mode. You're thinking about it. So I interview the player. I'm like, okay, I run out there. I go, okay, all right, it's Devin Singletary. You know, he, he's not in the bills anymore. He just signed with the Texans. But hey, Devin, you know, two touchdowns today. Take me to the first touchdown through it. And you know what happened? We do that. I sign off. So did I sign off? I head right to the, um, the uh, post-game media room. I give all my equipment to the engineer. I throw it off, blah, blah, blah. I hook up my new equipment to get to the locker room to do post-game interviews, to have recorded sound to send back to the station. Everything's done digital these days. It's so cool. I actually record all of my interviews on my phone and literally within two seconds, hit two buttons and send it to the station and they can play it. They can say it's live or, hey, a couple seconds ago, Sal just talked with, sure, yeah. with this player, right? They can do that. In the meantime, I'm in the locker room, Coach McDermott, Josh Allen, they're all talking to the media. We're carrying that live. That's why I don't have to be in that room. It's live then. So we're double dipping. They're getting it live from them. I'm getting the recorded sound from the players. As soon as that's done, everybody's leaving the stadium. Sometimes I'll go outside and do a TV hit for one of the TV stations. What did Sal think? He's on the sidelines. What do you think about today? After that, I go back up into the press box. And starting last year, we started doing myself and Matt Bove, the Channel 7 sports director here. We do a podcast. It's always game day in Buffalo. We will record our post-game podcast literally Jeez. there that night. While it's all fresh. 100%. And we want it out because, yeah, we want people to get it as soon as possible. You don't want to get lost in the shuffle, immediate reaction. And then I can go home. <laughs> and basically, I'll call my wife. I'll text her. I'll say, hey, wrapping up here in about an hour. That's probably 1 o'clock game. Probably talking about like 7, 8 o'clock. I had been there for 12 hours already. I go home. I try to see my family and try to see my son before he goes to bed. And then when I get home, I write a column for my website called Arrow Up, Arrow Down, which was who was good, who was bad during the game. That takes me to about, sometimes I take my time with it. Halftime of Sunday Night Football, I like to have it posted by maybe if I can while I'm watching the game. 
Then I get to bed and I have to go on the air to do a radio hit at 7 a.m. the next morning to talk about the game. It's an amazing dream gig for so many, but man, it is a lot of work. I'm exhausted just listening to you describe it's it. It's awesome. I wouldn't change it for anything. I love it. You know, and the road games are great too. You go to these cities, we fly in the night before the game, we get there about four o'clock at the hotel and everything is the same. You just go from the hotel instead of my home, you know, but you go on a team bus, you get taken there, all that stuff. But as soon as the game is over, like we get an hour and a half to get in the locker room, do the interviews, and then you got to be on that bus to get to the plane. Right. So you get on the bus and we fly back immediately. And then I get home and that's when I'll record my podcast and write my column. I mean, first off, you are working with one of the greatest fan bases in all of sports and most diehard dedicated fan bases. And you had such a wild year last year yeah. of things that happened. I'll get to the obvious in a second, but you mentioned home game, road games, having to come here to Detroit, where I am, to play that game here at Ford Field. And that insanity with the snowstorm, I mean, too much yes. snow to play in Buffalo is, is an awful lot of snow. Unbelievable. And, you know, the only thing that really bothered me about that was the, I hate the word, but I'll say it, the narrative that, oh, build a dome. The, what are you guys doing? It didn't matter. What They could have had a dome sitting right where Highmark Stadium is. They had to move the game because nobody could travel in Buffalo. Right. You, you had a state of emergency. Nobody could get in or out anywhere. It was crazy. You had a driving ban that was going on. And so it wasn't about that. It was just about how much snow there was and having to move the game because you couldn't have people moving. It was unsafe. You couldn't get emergency vehicles in or out. How are you supposed to play a football game? It's 60,000, 70,000 people. So yeah, we went to Detroit and that was a, a crazy wild game. And the Lions played tough and the Bills came back and won it at the end. And then, um, I'm sorry, played played Cleveland. I'm sorry. And that was the game where Cleveland played the Bills topic, went to the fourth quarter. We went back home and they got back on a plane three days later or four days later to go back to Detroit. To then play the Lions on Thanksgiving, right? Yes, exactly. And the Lions played the Bills tough in that game. So that was wild. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Take me if you are comfortable discussing it. Obviously, the biggest story with the Bills this year was DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. What a scary, scary moment that was, and then the amazing way it turned out. But you're the sideline guy. As best you're comfortable, take me through that night through your eyes, because I can't imagine what it was like to be right there as all that was happening. It was pretty raw emotion when I would talk about it back then. It's not as difficult now knowing that DeMar is doing as well as he is, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's okay to talk about it, but it's still pretty heavy to think about and to take myself back to that night because, you know, John, like the job is the job. You're doing the job. Right. And we're always taught to kind of detach ourselves emotionally, right? And I did have to do that while doing the job, but you're watching a young man die in front of you yeah, and, and be revived. And it's pretty unbelievable to think about those circumstances. So my job, as I told you before, was partly a lot of it is to watch for injuries. So the game had just started. It would, we were halfway through the first quarter and I see a tackle made. I'm standing maybe 40 yards away. I'm on the Bills sideline. He's at about midfield. I'm at about maybe the 25 yard line. I'm looking that way. And I just see a guy on the Bills team make a tackle, stand up and then just go bam, fall over. Fall backwards, we, yeah. We've all seen it. Right. I didn't know what was happening, but I said to Greg Harvey, our producer and our, my, the mic, I go, Hey, someone's down. Someone's down. I can't get a number on it, but we don't, we don't know. But I see this all the time. I've seen guys collapse. I've seen guys go down. I've even seen it look like that. Just not, it's not that often, but you know, maybe a concussion or something. That's just a yeah, yeah. head injury. He's out of it. He's out. You're thinking like Tua Tagovailoa earlier in the season. Sure. Like something like that. Right. So we're trying to figure out what's going on. Oh yeah. It's Damar Hamlin. And then it just started taking a little while. And then you saw the trainers out there and that just started taking a, li a little longer than what you, you would normally expect. And everybody's starting to gather around a little bit. And then I start to see guys getting really emotional. And I'm like, boy, something's up here. Like they see their teammate falling here. Like this is not normal. Right. But I wonder, wonder what's going on. And even then it didn't really hit you. But in the meantime, I'm still, my job is to do the job. Yeah. They're throwing it down to me. I'm explaining what's going on. I'm not getting caught up in the emotion of it yet. I'm explaining what's going on. What do I see? Here's the players. And yeah, guys are getting a little emotional out there. We see them working on tomorrow. I walk down. Um, Thad Brown, who works for WROC in Rochester here, 
it's like a CBS affiliate. He's on the field. He's a cameraman on the field shooting. And he's looking through his lens. I go, what are you seeing? He goes, boy, he goes, Sal, I'm telling you, I, it looks to me like they just did CPR on him. Wow. I'm like, no way. Wow. Like, I, who would ever think something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, right when that happens, all of the people on the sidelines go off the sidelines and they're forming a wall around Damar. And not just a wall, but they did it with their back to him and their front to us. So they didn't want us to see what was going on. Yeah. It was intentional to make sure this was being shielded. Right. At that moment, I'm like, okay, something bad is happening in there. Yeah. Couple that with what Thad just told me. And now I'm thinking, dear God, are we watching a player literally die on the field? Oh, oh, okay. And then on top of that, players are just losing it. Yeah. Emotions, bawling. Heads on shoulders, crying, hugging. And I'm like, yeah, this is by that time, I think if my timeline is right, ESPN had reported they were doing CPR. People had talked about it. So now we know, like, okay, this is really heavy. Everybody's out there. Then what really kind of made it hit home more than anything for me was while everybody's out there, I'm one of the only people left on the sidelines. I hear a voice behind me just kind of a little frantic and I'm like, okay, what's going on? I turn and there's a woman at the wall and she's wearing a DeMar Hamlin jersey. Mm. It was his mom. Yeah. And she's saying, that's my son. I need to get on the field. That's my son. I'm like, oh my God. So I turn around. I see one of the Bills. It's the Bills team chaplain actually. And I said, hey, hey, hey. And I pointed, I said, that's DeMar's mom. She's trying to get down. And then Dane Jackson turns around. He sees her and Dane and DeMar played college at Pitt. So he knew she was. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, what do, we, what do we do? The chaplain goes and gets Bill's security. Bill's security goes to get Bengals security. Bengals security goes up to her and says, this is what you do. You couldn't get down on the field where she was. They literally had her go walk around and meet the ambulance. So as it's driving off, she comes down into the tunnel. She meets the ambulance. Ugh. They drive the ambulance into the tunnel. We're all watching. John, I am standing near midfield maybe at this time watching. I can see into the tunnel, the ambulance with its lights on just sitting there. And people are still on the field and guys are starting to warm up. And I'm like, how are we playing a football game here? Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Because even sitting at home watching at that point, we're like, are they playing? Are they not playing? Right. Or what's going on? And this is not a criticism of anybody. I think you know what it is? Because what are athletes trained to do? What are football players trained to do? You play. Yeah. You go play. Your teammate got hurt. He'll be all right. You go play. That's what people are trained to do. So it's not a criticism. There was a lot of controversy in the days following about who said five-minute warm-up, who said it's ready to play. I'm telling you, for anybody out there needs to know this, I was on the sidelines that night. No one said to anybody, we're starting this game in five minutes. No one said, the league says this. No one said it. It was players taking the initiative because that's what they're trained to do, Mm -hmm. to warm up to play, all right? But we're all thinking, how is this going to work? And they're crying still, they're hugging each other. I remember Stefan Diggs, though, going to everybody and going, come on, let's go. Let's get back up. We got to do it. Let's go back out there. You know, we got to get ready. Like he was trying to do that. Then I see the uh, coach for the uh, the Bengals come over, uh, Zach Taylor, mm-hmm. come over and talk to Sean McDermott. And that's when they decided this can't happen right now. And Sean said, I got to be there tomorrow. And Zach's like, yeah, let's see what happens here. They called everybody off the field. The ambulance was still in the tunnel by now at this time. Called everybody off the field. Damar is in the ambulance at this point? He's in the ambulance, yes. And they go into the tunnel. The players go to their locker rooms. We follow them in there. It was wild. We're in the tunnel. And then security made us move out of the tunnel and said, you can come in here, but you can't have any cameras. You can come in here, but you can't have any microphones. And then they made all of the people in the media who were shooting into the tunnel take down their cameras. You couldn't even shoot into the tunnel. They didn't want anybody shooting what was going on. Damar's in the ambulance, winds up leaving. We see... His mom and dad were in there. Terry Pagula was in the ambulance. He walked, he comes out, he goes into the locker room. Sean McDermott, Zach Taylor, they're on a phone with the league like this, talking. Speakerphone. I think it's with the commissioner. We're all seeing it. Yeah. But we can't record it. We can't talk about it. But we I can go back out in the field and I could talk on the mic. I can't shoot any video, nothing like that. We're being told all this. So now in the meantime, what I would do is I would walk out of the tunnel to turn on my mic to tell everybody, give them an update what's going on on the radio. Because we're live still, right? So then I'd walk back in the tunnel. I'd try to find out what's going on be the reporter. Then I'd come out. I'd go on the radio, talk about what's going on. We waited. Nobody knew. And then they ultimately said, we're going to delay the game. 
And we went in, we were sitting in there, and then they said they were going to cancel the game or we'll find out when we're going to play. But we couldn't go in the locker room like we normally would for post-game interviews, of course. And they kept us very far away from that. When we went in the tunnel area, normally I could just walk by the locker room and even you know go in it at that point. But they kept us all kind of at bay. They kept some barriers up and said, don't even walk near the locker room. They want the players to have their privacy and their space. We waited a good 45 minutes till the locker room was clear. Then we all got in line to get on the bus. And once we got on the bus, I waited another hour or so on the bus. It might have been close to that. Leslie Frazier comes on the bus, Bill's defensive coordinator, and says, hey, here's the deal. We're not going to play tonight. We're going back home. Well, we knew we weren't playing. We're not going to we're not going to come back tomorrow. They're, they're going to postpone this game to another time or even cancel it. That's when we kind of first found out. Um, he said, but we can't leave yet because some coaches and players are at the hospital with Damar. Oh, geez. We had to wait for them to come back. And then we ultimately left, I think, at about 12.15 in the morning to come back to Buffalo. Got back here the next morning. I remember landing at about 2 a.m. And I remember texting Amy Lawrence. She was on overnights on CBS radio. And Amy and I, you know, we've gotten to know each other over the years. And I texted her because she was talking about it. I said, Amy, if you want me to go on, I'll go on with you to tell you though what's going on because I consider her, you know, a friend and somebody I wanted to help out and give her some clarity on what's going on. This is news or sports? Amy Lawrence, overnight CBS Sports. Okay, yeah. She does an overnight talk show, and literally live at about two in the morning, I called Amy Lawrence, was on CBS Radio, explaining everything that happened that night, and then I got up maybe about six six thirty to go on the radio to talk, and I remember, I have it my phone actually, I remember the next day. My radio interviews that I was contacted with and calling, I'm showing you on the phone, Dallas, uh, see Dallas radio spot, Cleveland, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington, Atlanta, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, San Diego, CBS Sports, ESPN Radio. They were all calling me that day. And look, I did it because, John, I thought it was my obligation to be the eyes and ears for people to tell them what was going on and to talk about Damar Hamlin and what kind of man he is Yes, and to give his story. I thought that was very important to do the next day. And it had to be just so heartwarming for you to see the story turn out the way it did, where he's taken care of, he's recovered, he's coming back, and he, all this money that got raised. You know, you hear all these stories of Bills fans, you know, raising money for an opposing quarterback's charity, or, and he had this little GoFundMe for Christmas presents that was just this little thing, and then it just blows up into millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, it's awesome that the story from then, with the, the things that happened since then, and all the money that was raised, there's no doubt that that is incredible. But I think just getting him back and healthy and now cleared to play is such an amazing story. And, you know, here you and I are talking on schedule release day. We're recording this. And yeah, we're recording this on May 11th as a timestamp for those listening. So the schedule comes out at 8 o'clock tonight. We're starting to get some leaks. I'm, I've been on that all day and trying to figure out who's playing where. And I think it's kind of a cool puzzle. I always do it every year, just try to figure it out. And I like the leaks. But one of the big ones is the Bills and the Bengals are playing again this year. Yeah. And it's in Cincinnati again this year. And Someone reached out to me last night and said, I'm hearing Bills Bengals Sunday night football on November 5th. It might be true. It might not be. We'll find out here soon. But that's a national storyline because that's the return of DeMar Hamlin in Cincinnati that night. Absolutely. This is, uh, I'm not even sure where to go from here because it's such a powerful story. And to hear you tell it from your firsthand perspective and witnessing it and a credit to you professionally of having to weigh the emotion with it, but that also you have a job to do. And players are trained to get back on the field. You're trained to get the story and tell the story. But the raw emotion of that moment, it had to be a really difficult line to walk. It was. Um, I don't think it hit me until the next day. I think I was so focused on doing the job. Like the adrenaline? Yeah, I don't think it hit me until the next day. I really was in like reporter mode. You know what I mean? Just like I got to tell everybody what's going on here. And then the next day, like I got emotional on a lot of these radio interviews I was doing. And I'm like, I can't believe what I saw. And I can't believe what I'm hearing about him and his condition. It was improving as we went on and things like that, which made it easier. But it, yeah, I don't think it hit me until the next day what happened. And you know, then you, you build the relationships too with the people who are involved. And I was on the Zoom calls with the doctors and things like that that they were doing. And you try to – the national media that was descending upon Buffalo that week, we couldn't go to the facility. They would not let us in. The, the first time we heard from anybody was Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. A couple of players did a – press conference like on Wednesday, maybe mm -hmm. Thursday, like we couldn't even go to the facility. It was just, it was a very interesting week. And then of course, how can you forget the emotion of the first game back against the Patriots, the opening kickoff return? I'm sure you know that. I mean, even watching as a Patriots fan, unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's, it's even as a Patriots fan, it was just storybook. Right. It really was. Yeah. It was incredible. So it's great. And, you know, to see DeMar and, 
you know, the, all the things they're doing now for the AEDs and CPR training that he's a big part of to be an agent for change, to get more AEDs available for youth and uh, youth sports and schools and the CPR training that's going into it. And I, I just think a lot of really good positive change has come out of this really, what could have been tragic situation, obviously. Really appreciate you walking us through it. Uh, before we wrap, not an easy transition here. Before we wrap, I want to come back to your time full circle at WJPZ. Any funny stories you remember from your time at Z89 that come to you uh, years later? Ooh, funny stories, man. Um, so it's not funny to me, but it is funny. Mike Murphy, you said, you know, he helped you reach out. He was the sports director. I was the assistant. Mike had to suspend me for a game. Oh. He had to suspend me for what well, he wanted to. No, he didn't, though. I, I talked him out of it. He was going to suspend me. <laughs> Here's what happened. Here's what happened. All right. Z89 wanted to do like a big NBA preview of the NBA season. And they were looking for people to kind of do this preview thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do one. And I kind of volunteered just on a whim. And I didn't really follow up with whoever I was supposed to follow up with, I guess. And the person complained like, oh, Sal didn't do what he's supposed to do. And it kind of made it bad for like how we were supposed to go on the air and do this thing. And I didn't. I honestly, John, don't even remember like who it was with the team. I just kind of like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm volunteering, help out or whatever. Didn't get all the information. That's on me. And like the person complained and Mike's like, yeah, I got to do something. And he was going to suspend me from covering the Miami football game at the Dome that weekend. Oh, Warren Sapp coming to town. Oh, my God. He didn't suspend me. I talked him out of it. It was good. Nicely done. Nicely done. There you go. No, but people were mad at him for not suspending me. So I don't know if he remembers that. He probably does. But he was a good dude and he still is. But it, that that sticks to me. that something like that happened. Um I remember Mike Formasano was a crazy man. He was awesome in a cra crazy way. He was really good. He was a good guy. And what I say about that is he is now the head brewmaster of a huge brewery making beer. And it's awesome. And I remember him being like a sports director for a little while. So that was really cool. I remember going to see Boys to Men in Montel Jordan with a bunch of people from Z89 through the promotions department. That was really cool. They were playing out at the fair or something like that at one, one time. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned Murphy a couple of times. Other folks that you stay in touch with over the years, you still uh, come in contact with? I think Facebook just allows for that. So it's probably a lot of people, right? Just people you just reach out to, you know, like you doing this, uh, you know, and Matt Friedman, Matt Friedman, a really great guy, you know, in, in Detroit, you know, Matt from Detroit and BMP. He's been a mentor to me for since, since the moment I set foot in the Motor City. Absolutely. 100%. You know, Matt's always been great. I remember um, a few years ago, he reached out to me because Ralph Wilson was inducted into the Detroit Hall of Fame. That's where Ralph's from. Yeah. I got Matt in touch with the Bills to be able to know about that. And that was really cool. Just kind of that interaction and that connection. I think a lot of people, but in my own way, right? It's not necessarily you're hanging out with them every day or anything like that. But I think just here and there, you, you say, oh yeah, we did radio together or we were on something together. Ben Cerny. Ben was a um, year behind me. Worked at Z89 for a little while. I don't think he was there a long time. It was a couple of years he worked there and he did some things in sports. And then he went on to be a producer at ESPN for a long time. And he produced the uh, college football game, uh, like the the noon game on college football for a long time. He's now since left to be a part of a, a launch of a company. And I actually did one of these that I'm doing with you for him actually about a year ago, which was really cool. That's really cool. Sal Capaccio from the class of 1995, uh, the resident expert on the Buffalo Bills, living out his dream like so many of us at Z89 wanted to when we first set foot on campus. Thanks for your time today. Anytime, man. Thank you. Love Z89. Always, always going to be here for Z89 no matter what. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.